Hello there and welcome to the Marseille View. My name's Stefan and tonight I'm joined by Ben and Luca. Hi guys. Hi guys. Hello guys. And we're also joined for a first appearance from Arno all the way from San Francisco. Hi Arno. Hi guys. Hi. Arno, seeing as it's your first time on the show, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your relationship with OM and tell us a bit about what's happening all the way over in San Francisco right now? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so, for, so much for having me and thank you so much for uh, making this podcast. I think it's just great to have an uh, uh, English-speaking audience about uh, OM. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. So thank you so much for this work. Uh, so myself, yeah, um, I was born uh, in Provence. Um, so I was not born in Marseille. I was born in a, in a city in Vaucluse uh, called Apt. Uh, but uh, my uh, hospital where, where I was born was on Route de Marseille. So I was on my way to, to Marseille <laughs> since I'm born. Um, and yes, uh, so I was born in the, the end of the 80s. So uh, I can tell you that in uh, yeah, at, at that time, uh, uh, if you are like uh, in less than a thousand miles from Marseille, you had to be for OM and I knew how to say Allez um, uh, OM before I knew to say Mam, uh, I guess. And um and yeah, so I've been a, a Marseille fan since. Uh, I, I moved a lot. I, I left uh, Provence uh, when I was seven. I, I grew up in Africa, and I, then I, I lived in a lot of uh, places uh, in France, uh, and um, in and then India, and then US. Oh, wow. uh, and but uh, but yeah, I've always been um, crazy fan about OM all the time. And uh, and for the anecdote, yeah, as well. Um, when I moved to New York, uh, I was twenty-one. I didn't know anyone. And um, there's a, a big uh, OM fan club in New York. It's called OM New York. Right. And it was basically my first family in the U.S. Uh, so uh, I'm, there was great people. They were uh, welcoming me. And every weekend we were um, seeing each other for the games. And I was also lucky because it was the last year when we were champions. So <laughs> it was a very good year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yes, yeah, so when we won the, the trophy, uh, we were uh, parading in the in Manhattan with our bus mm-hmm. and our Marseille flying, so Americans didn't get what we were doing. But uh, it was it was a crazy experience, and uh, and that's why yeah, when I moved um, about um, four years ago uh, to San Francisco, uh, and I, I I knew that there was no fan club like this uh, like this uh, in in California. I said yes, I also want to create this uh, this same uh, 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 friendly environment uh, for all the Marseille fans. And um, I guess it will speak to all of you. But yes, when you are crazy about OM and you are uh, on the other side of the world and you are still passionate listening to all the Le Fossian talk or watching all the games, then if you're alone, it could be like it can feel depressing. But as long as you find just um, um, two or three mates to to be as crazy as you to watch all the Marseille games, then it makes your life uh, much better. So that's why, yeah, about uh, two years and a half ago, I, I created uh, the fan club. Um, Initially called uh, OM Silicon Valley, and uh, and then yes, uh, we got uh, noticed by uh, Jacques Henri Roux. I think he was one of the first five followers on Twitter of our fan club, <laughs> and um, and then yes, we we grew up well. We were very happy to have the good momentum of the Europa League. So, and and then yes, um, about uh, a year ago, we became also uh, an official OM Nation fan club. So it's great now. Yeah, we we go watch all most of the games. Um, in San Francisco, and uh, that's uh, that's all about uh, about it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, I really hope that all those OM fans in, in in the states as well that they hear about the podcast and stuff because that'd be really great to be able to reach them in the future. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely have, have Ryan. Uh, he is a Californian, born and raised. Uh, 
his story about Marseille is also crazy. He discovered uh, Marseille when he moved to Africa and in Congo they were crazy about OM and, and now I think he's the biggest Marseille fan in in, in the US. <laughs> he has OM stickers. He, he looked to have the the plate uh, Alelo OM. I mean uh, uh, on on his car, it's is even crazier than me. I think. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely get him on. Um, hopefully soon. I've got one as well. We've got numero tres on ours. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so tonight, um, today, sorry, what we're going to do, um, much like the previous episode, we're going to first um, review Marseille's last game, which was yesterday against Angers. We'll also look forward to next week's game against Bordeaux. Give our thoughts and predictions for that match. And as always, we'll sort of run through some of the news stories over the last week or so. Um, so without um, further ado, we'll get started. So yesterday, Marseille were up against Angers at the Stade Velodrome. Uh, the result finished 2-2, despite that OM took the lead quite early on after a double from Mario Balotelli. Um, it's quite a disappointing result, guys, don't you think? Um, yeah, is um, yeah, I think if you look at the entire performance then obviously there's a lot we can talk about but I'd rather split it into into really two kind of games um the first thing is the the first 20 minutes really surprised me because we were we were dominating them but I felt like our, we actually used and planned some tactics to counter their own tactics um we played very high up the pitch we pressed basically the entire 20 minutes and after we scored both goals, which were incredible goals, and we'll talk about it further, um, we didn't put our foot off the gas. And it was really until that penalty incident that we just that we dipped and our confidence completely dropped. But before that, it it was it was quite quite really nice to see. It was like the OM from last year, where we were playing for twenty minutes, and it, it didn't matter what the opponent was trying to do. We always found a way to get the ball back. But after that, obviously, after those twenty minutes and that penalty. Um, we just looked shell shocked, quite frankly. We, it, it was we had sixty five minutes to get back into the game, and we spent all of that just complaining to the referee. Yeah, there was we we did seem a little bit disoriented after the first goal. It seemed we weren't really able to kind of bring ourselves together and play some football after the first Angers goal. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was a weird game. I mean, um, when it started, as you say, Luca, the intensity and everything, it really reminded me of the game against Lille last year at the Velodrome where we knew that we were going to get a result. And we, as, as Lucas said, we sort of set up to counter them and we kept kept our foot on the gas. And that is the big difference between OM last year and OM this year is last year, we would have killed this game. We would have won it by three or four goals. And this year we lose concentration. Yes. Look, you can, you can be like Rudy and the players and hide behind the dodgy refereeing, but the fact is, we shut ourselves. We just let them back in the game. And if you're not able to kill off opponents and get that extra goal or at least contain them and continue pressing them and continue causing them problems going forwards, they will always have a chance, especially Angers, who who was specialist this season of coming from behind. Yeah. Yeah, they were warned about that, that everybody talks about uh, the so the fact that, yeah, people from uh, Angers, they are like hungry and they will never give up. Kind of English spirit, maybe, and uh, and actually, yeah, uh, I I thought that the first twenty minutes were just perfect, and Balotelli goals were amazing, and then we stopped playing. We stopped playing, and 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 we were maybe too confident, and then yes, there was this weird uh, penalty uh, that that has been whistled, and then yeah, we we never attacked again uh, ever. So so yeah, 
It's, mm. It was it was a real disappointment because yeah, after the first two goals, I thought yeah maybe we can catch up even for the goal average to come back on Lyon. You know, I was really in the mood. I was excited and and wow, the slap in my face after that is even more hurtful. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I agree to be honest. Be, be, last week podcast, me and Ed did say that Angers were that kind of team. You know, where we're probably gonna go up maybe 1-0, and then we're going to get equalized by our own faults at the end of the game. And and after the 20 minutes, I was like, wow, how wrong I was. Because we, we just we just choked them. And having a great, great striker obviously helped us. But I felt like even even if we didn't have Balotelli, the ball would have gone in an, another way. Um, and it's, it's insane. It's We find ourselves in a position where, yes, the referee helped Angers a little bit, but you have 65 minutes to get back into the game. And can yeah. you think of one chance that we had after that? We had the Streetman chance right at the end of the game. But really, what clean-cut chance did we have after this? Nothing. You have half time to, to put the players, you know, to, to go into the, the locker room and say to the players, OK, you know what? At the end of the game, we will discuss the referee incident. Yeah, but right now, you're not even allowed to think about the referee. Right now, you're supposed to say we have another 45 minute plus extra time, and let's just go back on the pitch just like we came out in the first half. And we came out in the second half doing nothing. It's it exactly the same that. Mentality. Exactly that, and it's it, it's such a contrast because back in December or even early January, we were doing rubbish first halves and then actually pulling our sucks up in the second half and either getting an equaliser against Rennes, for example, or, or managing to win the game away yeah. in, in um, was it Dijon, and then or Reims, but and and then now is the complete opposite. We we come out all guns blazing for twenty minutes. We we get one goal or two. We seem to think that's enough, so we, we either sit back or th- there's a complete breakdown in communication on the pitch, and then suddenly we're not producing anything anymore, and we're just letting the other team back in it, and it's it's a very dangerous game, yeah. very dangerous. Do you know? I I do think though that um, this is a and this is a problem that's existed even before Garcia was coach, but we've never been able to hold results very well. You know, if we take a lead, we've never been able. We've never, I've never felt confident that we've had a defence that could hold tight and protect the leads that we've got. I feel like that's been an issue for many years, actually. Yeah, from from memory, we we tend to do all right away. It's at home that that we throw away leads, and because I don't know if they overestimate the velodrome factor and the fact that play other teams are just going to shut down because they know they're too behind at the velodrome. There's no way back, and that that fortress mentality just doesn't exist. We Teams come to the velodrome expecting to get the point at the least because they just know that if they put us under pressure, we will collapse and we will shit ourselves. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And it's like when you look at the scenario from today, and obviously we, we go 2 nil up and then we end up drawing 2-2. The scenario from today is not too different from the other scenarios from against Nice or, or Saint-Etienne. We, we go ahead and then we... We let the opponent back in the game, not because they're good, because Santetian and Nice were, quite frankly, shocking and didn't even want to score. But we just give the, we give them chances, we give them gifts to give them hope. And the only difference with those games is that Nice and Santetian, they didn't manage to score, and Angers did. But they, there's no, there's no uh, critical thinking in the, by the staff to, to really pinpoint that even though we won... There were clear weaknesses, and if you don't fix them, I mean, you're going to get caught out next game, and that's just what happened. 
Mm. But, uh, Arnaud, it must have been harsh from you because you, you watched it pretty early in the morning out there, I imagine. So it, it sort of ruins your day. At least we can we can go out and get drunk afterwards <laughs> here, here yeah. in Europe. But um, there's no game plan. What is the game plan? You know, we set up with these good intentions for 20 minutes and it's... I want to blame Garcia. I want to blame him because, yes, we've not seen any production of play. There doesn't seem to be any combinations happening on the wings. That's completely disappeared from our game in the last month, in the last, um, certainly since November time. But on top of that, the players just seem to, to get frozen by the, the, the expectation and they just seem to shit themselves and, and lose their, their football and not know not think I'm going to make a run and drag a defender with me to, to open up the middle of the pitch for Torval to cut inside or Balotelli to run forward. Or I'm going to, I'm going to create the overlap with Saar or Amavi on the other side and, and try and draw out the, the, the defence of the opponent. They're, just the basic football seems to be completely lost. They're clueless. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that basically yesterday uh, Germain was useless on the pitch and I was expecting uh, Payet to come... Uh, on the pitch, like just like in the early second half, and to eventually, yes, be a playmaker, be behind Balotelli, uh, give uh, potential assists, and and yes, again, yeah, we waited a lot of time before we we could see the the first change, and uh, and he was not uh, actually offensive; he was even more defensive, and so it it gives a sign that yes, the coach is like is scared, and so obviously he conveyed a scare. The, the the fear to to the players so so yeah that was that was even even more frustrating seeing that yes you have tools on the on the bench and and to actually score and go uh, be be loyal to our to our motto uh, to but go straight to the goal and and no we in our home we got scared and we we just tried to be more defensive and that's the point at home. You know, you bring yeah. on substitutes. You've you've got to bring on. You've got to bring Payet on. You've got to bring an yeah. attacker on. Someone who's going to do something up front. And we just our substitutions are Gustav Instrument to to shut the game down and try yeah. and contain Angers instead of going for the third goal that would have sealed it for us. And then it's, when you're when you're two uh, two all and what um, ten men uh, one man down, then you put Payet on. Yeah. Like what it, the it hell? It makes that... no sense. Yeah, it's, it's it's too late for that kind of change, isn't it? By that point, he's, yeah. And and as crazy as that was, even though we were ten men against eleven, the yeah. fact that Payet was on, even though he didn't make a lot of change, but the fact that you know the other players saw that, all right, we need clearly the coach wants us to go for the win. We dominated Angers until for yeah. the last ten minutes. We were ten men down, and that just tells you that if you had made an attacking change, you would have just changed the momentum a little bit, and then you would have exactly. had what you had in ten minutes for the last thirty minutes. It's a simple game at halftime. Angers, Angers team talk would have been, guys, we've been in this situation before. We keep your heads. Keep playing our game. They will get frustrated. The stadium will get frustrated, and, and, and we'll nick a goal. So mm-hmm. our, our game plan should be right. Payet, on you go, mate, and let's let's catch them on the break because they are going to put men forward to try and equalise as early as possible in the second half. And it's that we. I, I refuse to believe that even in the form that he's in and the fact he's not played much, we would have. I'm, I'm convinced we would have created at least a couple of chances. Yeah. In the first yeah. 10, 15 minutes of the second half with Payet on the pitch. I, I thought he would play Payet um, yesterday. Just I don't know why. I, thought, I think partly because 
Um, the fact that it was his birthday the day before, I just thought he might give him more than a, you know a, a good half an hour run out or so on the pitch. Um, and I know that's a silly reason, but I don't know. I just and it, it just seemed like a good game for it. We weren't playing against some you know a team like Leon or PSG. It seemed like it would be a good game where we could actually play an attacking player and not have to worry too much about you know holding it together. Yeah, and even so, you're put even okay. Let's say that you want to keep the same team sheet, even though you lost against PSG. But let's say that it's just, apparently the club just says, you know what, it's it's acceptable to lose to PSG now, right? So let's just say, right, let's keep the same team sheet and let's just try to carry on our, our momentum. At least try to play Payet for more than ten minutes. At least try to rehabilitate yeah. him into the squad, because and show him that you know what, we want you at this club. Because he's got no other option now, him and Gustavo, they have no other option but looking to leave. You're not giving him game time, even when you have reason to give him game time. Yeah, so just one thing that I picked up on um, in the game, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but... Um, my the stream that I was watching on, I was having lots of problems, so it just kept cutting, cutting in and out. Um, but the Ben, you mentioned about them relying on the... The, the the crowd thinking that maybe that would push them through um, but I actually felt at the start even in the first half I felt like the crowd was a little bit subdued I, I just and even though I think there was quite a, a big turnout um, it just didn't really feel like a very fiery atmosphere I didn't feel like I don't know it felt like an exhibition game especially in the in the first sort of 20 minutes half an hour I don't know if you felt if you noticed that kind of atmosphere yeah, you, yeah, you sort you're... of built the bump. Sorry, that we, we sort of the, the t- we know how the Velodrome acts. If you score a couple of early goals, or if you show intent and get stuck in in the first ten fifteen minutes, the stadium will shout, will get behind you, and that will carry you. On, on the good day, that will carry us usually to to a comfortable home win. And the the fact is that that we've seen it all before. And I think fans at the stadium are you know they see the first two early goals and they think Jesus, they can't we can't believe our luck. We weren't expecting this. And then the, the team goes back to sleep and we fall back into our usual lull, which seems to be, let's just trudge along and, you know, play casual football. And th- that's that's what frustrates the crowd. And I think the crowd just go, for, for fuck's sake, not again. This, is ha- this has happened against Nice. This has happened against Saint-Étienne. This has happened so many times this season when we're ahead. We, we just sit back and think that we've won the game. And no, a game of football is 90 minutes. Yeah, and I, I didn't... Um... I didn't really pick up on that. And whilst we're on the subject of the crowd, uh, I read a tweet of uh, someone who was at the stadium uh, following the game after the, um, the, the crowd was booing the team at the final whistle. One of the, one of the, um, the couple, one of the, um, the spokesmen of one of the groups was, were telling, was screaming to the crowd saying, like, why are you booing them? We've been doing quite well recently. There's no reason for it. And this, and it, it, it just it kills me in a way because what what has the direction done to this club? How is drawing two zero against Angers whilst you up two nil acceptable? How and what like what right do yeah, the leaders you... of the group have to to say to the crowd like you know like don't be so angry? What do you mean don't be so angry? We, we've been is... pathetic for the last for the last two and a half months, and when you look before that, we haven't been like very extraordinary either. The crowd is is completely. Uh, the, the, I think the crowd is confused with with the direction of the club, and the club has managed to actually put some of the groups on their side through all of these meetings to say, you know, you need to keep encouraging us and encouraging the team. And there's this 
misunderstanding between the groups, what they want to do, and then the the, um, the instructions that they're being given by the club. I, I don't really understand what's going on now. Yeah, and I think it was a really critical game. We were like some of us were believers that yes, we could catch up Lyon, we can eventually be qualified for Champions League, and then it's a game changer of like for the club, uh, for the future of the club, um, to to be in that position and. And and they ruined it, and that that's why the fact that they didn't attack, they didn't um, as stay as good as they were as the first 20 minutes. If he he felt like uh, yeah, they didn't see the importance of the game, and that's uh, that that's crazy, and that's en enraging. Yeah. Do you, do you guys think I I read this on Twitter? Do you guys re reckon that there's a fitness problem? A few people are pointing to that and saying that we we seem to. <laughs> Let's face it. We say we we had an intense first 20 minutes for a team like Liverpool, or or a, a, another team that that is plays attacking football in in Europe. Like not necessarily a big team, but I don't know Juventus or Atletico that have a, a game plan that they just apply for 90 minutes of the game consistently. They don't seem to have a problem of fitness. They just keep running, and for OM it seems to be either an early or a late bloom, and then after that. People, Bunasa, for example, looked legless. He looked knackered on the pitch. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily like pure physical fitness. It, it can be mental this, as well. Yeah, it's the same stuff, right? And what were we saying last year when we were playing games every three days and right until the start of June? We're saying like, wow, we just played three games ago, three days ago. Sorry, and it's the 80th minute, and we seem like we have so much more energy than the opposing team. And we ended up always winning in the last minutes because we had more juice. And it's the same stuff. So I don't understand. I don't yeah. think that it's necessarily purely physical. I think that the players don't really believe in, in the message that's being transmitted by the coach. And the, the efforts, I mean, sub, I'm not saying that they're consciously trying to sabotage the club and the game. I'm just saying that it's, it's human. Subconsciously, when you don't believe in the direction or you don't believe in what's being told, then you don't put 100%. Do you know, because you're um, trying to preserve sorry. yourself. Sorry, do you know, um, Ben, that's an interesting point though about fitness because then we talked a couple of weeks ago about one of the stories was about Evra apparently saying that the levels in training weren't as advanced, you know, it wasn't as, as strong as, say, in the, at West Ham. And so, I mean, maybe there is something there. Maybe, um, you know, maybe I think. Uh, sorry, I started. I started smelling bullshit when Sanson Sanson came out a few weeks ago and said, "Oh yeah, everything is good in training. We've started doing tennis ballon again." It's like, for fuck's sake, we don't want to hear this. We want to hear that you're running, and you know, I, I don't want you to. I mean, we had, there was a video a few months ago of Mitroglou tackling. I can't remember who it was. Quite quite harshly okay. in training. Yeah. So, and, and look, yeah, it's bad. We don't want to see our players injuring each other, but we want to see them running their asses up in training and, and being as hungry as they are on the pitch. And that's that's the hallmark of, of the big teams. And Definitely. you know, the fact the fact that, that the leash has been loosened and that Sanson is coming out and saying, "Oh, we're playing tennis ballon in training," you know, screw you. We don't want to know that. <laughs> Definitely, um, Arnold, um, you made a good point actually about. This game yesterday, it, it felt more than just like a lost points. It it really does feel like this game might have a huge impact on the next season yeah. or the next couple of seasons because it means that it's looking unlikely that we'll get Champions League football. Velvet near impossible. It, it, I actually do remember having a similar feeling um, at the end 
towards the end of the 2015 season when, when Bielsa was in charge and, and we missed out on the third place. And it, at that point, it kind of became clear. I think it was a, there was a game... I think, was it against... It, it uh, was Lorient, Marseille-Lorient, when we lost 5-3 yeah, That's the one, yeah. Because we had a few victories after that, I think against Bastia and Leo, but it was too little too late by that point. And mm. um, that game, was that was the game where it kinda, we, we'd sort of slipped behind. And after, you knew we were, it was going to be Mission Impossible. And then when, by the time we got to the summer, it was like we had to sell players and we weren't able to build upon the, you know, the really interesting and exciting team that we'd actually developed in the last sort of year or two before that and it just sort of all fell apart and it was the end of a cycle as we'll talk about a little bit later on so yeah I do feel Arno that that I'm with you I I feel like this was more this was more important than just a game against Angers yesterday this was just this was really 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 big yeah they were not playing uh, a game they were playing the season they were playing the outcome and they were playing with the outcome of this season, the future of the club. So, yeah, this is what we say in English. It, it, this was our cup final. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that it's possible that maybe we were a, the players and the fans as well were a little bit complacent going into it? Um, I know that Moulin, the Angers coach, had said that it seemed like Marseille players thought that they were going to win comfortably. And I mean, even when we. We talked about it before when we posted questions on on Twitter a few days ago. Everyone seemed to think that we were going to win this game quite comfortably. It's a strange one, and and again, you know, you don't want to you don't want to say I told you so, but the fact we strung four wins together together against pretty average teams. Let's be honest. And yes, Balotelli was scoring, and, and. I think all of us on the first few podcasts thought there was this new positivity that he would carry the other players and. I was sort of hoping, expecting that that would lead to Gustavo and Payet upping their game and coming back into the team, and it, it didn't. Yeah, and and that that was it seemed like it was a smokescreen or it was you know it was a false dawn because we did get a, a few lucky wins against average teams. You come back down to earth against PSG, which I think all all of us expected anyway, and you know suddenly we're back to square one, which is where we were in, in early January after a horrible run of games without winning. And a complete lack of, of enthusiasm or lack of, of positivity going forwards. And if if there was ever a sign of the team giving up on Garcia, I think that was it yesterday. For me, that was the, the final nail in the coffin. Okay. Yeah. And going back to, to Stefan Moulin's comments, it's it's kind of funny, to be honest, because he's saying that he thought the players came in thinking that we, they would dominate Angers. But I'm sorry, mate. But we did dominate you. We were two 0 up, yeah. and it's not like we overestimated. It's not like Angers were better than we thought. Angers were awful. They scored two penalties and had no yeah, chance yeah. after that. But it's, it's sterile domination. Sterile we put ourselves domination. in a position to win comfortably against his, his quite frankly, his shit team, and we find a, a way to give goals. So it. it it's not like we were thinking we're going to win comfortably. We were going to win comfortably. It's not because we're we overestimating to. Angers. It's because our players just don't have their heads into the game. Does someone want to make a final comment? No, it's yeah. a quick, quick, quick one. And, and just on the refereeing, yes, I think the first penalty was a bit, a bit weird. But we, yeah. we've got to face it. It's going against us this season. It will continue to do so. So if that that's the way the wind's blowing, you've just got to accept it. But you, you can't hide behind that fact. And 
we gave them, I mean, the second penalty was, was a joke. Fucking typical Rummy. The, the same Rummy we've seen all season that is not composed. He's supposed to be the cool, experienced head at the back and he just dives into challenges when there was no need to. There was another defender with him and you've got to take that gamble that he'll probably fluff his shot or whatever. But with experience like that, you can't panic and go diving in because you know that with the way it's been going this season, the, the decision would likely get given against us. And we'll we yeah. concede another penalty. I was just going to say, it's interesting that Rami was brought back in because I'm, I, I, I think I read in that last week as well that there was talk about him wanting to clarify his position again in the team and about whether or not he will move on in the summer. Um, well, who would you have put him? Well, who would you have yeah, put in against? Yeah, yeah true, he had true. no choice again. I know. Um, but, yeah, I just because he, he wasn't fit though, was it? He, well, he's, he's out of match practice, so it just I don't know. I'm. Yeah, but again, that's speaking to Garcia's lack of man management. You're you're in a position where one of your defenders is suspended, which is which is bound to happen at some point in the season. They're central defenders. And your only option is Rolando, who hasn't played a game in two months, Rami, who hasn't played a game in, I don't know, I can't remember when his last game was. And in January. That's it. it was in January. Yeah. So, again, it's, you, the so he has no choice. Yeah, the contrast with last season is we had a squad of 18 players and we had a turnover because there were that many games. And players like NG had, you know, he had honourable, decent stats last year. I think he got seven or eight goals and a few assists. Yeah. And, and we had a squad of 18 players who were interchangeable. With someone got injured, you know that you knew that Hollando would come in and do a, do a job. Um, you just knew that, that, that there was that spirit and that togetherness that just completely isn't here. And, and add to that the fact that we've got 70 fucking million sat on the bench <laughs> of investments and the fact that he's, he's not doing the turnover because... As Luca, I think we all we all sort of predicted. Ninety percent of us predicted after the last defeat that typical Garcia will will just revert back and change the whole team again, and he didn't. And that has cost us because you you go into these games where you're in the run-in, the final run-in for the season without your experienced players, and that is going to show at some point. That shows, and it did yesterday. Yeah, my final point about this game, I think, I just my quick final point is um, is is. I'm actually so amazed at the lack of attacking um, chances we are getting now, even though we have Balotelli up front. When you see both of his goal, his positioning and the spontaneity of his shooting is scary, quite frankly. The first goal, he's literally on the brink of the offside line and somehow is, off, is, on, is not offside. And the second goal, he takes one touch and then he shoots straight away. Like That forces defenders to follow him at all times. And for yeah. some reason... Tova, Ocampos, or Jama find themselves in positions where they're not available to, to make a play or make, make a, a set piece. It's, it's mm. Balotelli is pulling two, sometimes three defenders with him, and you have Tova and Ocampos who are just static, waiting for yeah. the ball, when you should be making runs. It's simple football. But last season, we, yeah, we, we were reliant on, on individual exploits from Payet, Tova. You know, they, they would they would come up with a goal or, or, or a free kick or something. And this season, we're over-reliant on just Balotelli, who's come in fresh without all of the baggage from the first half of the season, which was probably depressed everybody. And now we're over-reliant on him. to, to Like his second goal is a shot that comes out of nowhere. And fair play to him is, is solid. And that, that is the hallmark of a top-class striker. But the rest of the team are not playing at the level that... that is acceptable, let alone their own level, which is which should be standard. It's interesting that because before 
um, the first half of the season, everyone was complaining that the one piece of the puzzle that was missing was that we didn't have a proper striker for the rest of this team to play towards. Now we've got a good, a good striker and the rest of the team is playing terrible. Yeah, they're not taking advantage of the space that's being created. One of the arguments, like you said, was Tovan can't score as much or can't make an impact because he has to ask for the ball at his feet because Mitroglu is not making any runs. Well, now you have the runs and you have the space, but he's still just waiting for the ball in his feet. Like, is, is that not being highlighted in a video room saying, look at how much space there is, go centrally, go try to, I don't know, to get away from your defender because there is space behind him. And he's playing just as if Mitroglu is just staying up front without doing anything, when that's just not the case anymore. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I think just one last question. I just want to run by um, Arno and Luca. Um, did you think that the the first penalty was a penalty? Yeah, I don't think so. Because if, even if you play like very like low-level football, you know that, yes, uh, on the movement, yeah, you have to uh, come to another's body. And... And Amavi, yeah, he did touch the ball, and, and yes, after that, with the, the the speed of the attacking players from Angers, yeah, he was falling down. But uh, I don't, I don't think he was a fault, and I tried to be objective, but uh, I don't think it was a, a penalty kick. It's never a penalty in a million years, and I'm all for the V, um, the VAR, but that's really one of its limitations when you're getting incompetent and sometimes dishonest referees to interpret. Picked like um, um, isolated pictures in slow mo and everything because yeah. when you look at the actual chance, it's a it's a free kick, right? So there is this contact all over the pitch, right? Yeah. And Torre gets the better of Amavi, gets the shot in. Amavi goes. For, he doesn't go for a tackle. He goes for a block, and he actually gets the block. Yeah. It's Torre k- kicks the ball and Amavi blocks the ball with his foot. It's not like he's pushing Torre in and then they're all following on top of each other, falling on top of each other. So if you look at isolated pictures, yes, Amavi after blocking the shot ends up like taking Torre out, but Torre is falling on top of him just as much as Amavi is 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 falling under Torre. So it's it, it's in the spirit of the game and Amavi did like the only wrong thing that he did was getting caught at the start of the action, but then he recovered it. He blocked yeah. the ball cleanly, and for some reason, referees are finding a way to, to to whistle penalty when the Angers defender, who is at this point the the one shooting the ball, has no idea what is going on. He, he's yeah. looking. He's looking at the referees, saying, "What? What? Yeah, exactly? Yeah. Is that a penalty?" And it's the, just the, like, how, and then what? amazes me even better is I don't know if you guys watch the French commentaries um, but the Franck Sauzé who used to be a Marseille player during the yes. 90s he, they were all saying yeah it's, it's a blatant penalty I have no arguments against that and it's just like am I living in a parallel world where you can't <laughs> make any contact with anyone uh, yeah um, and the, yeah. The, the, the one who didn't believe there was a penalty was the Angers player he was like what it was penalty what okay <laughs> surprising <laughs> he was crazy yeah Right. Well, I think um, we'll move on from that. I mean, it's worth pointing out, though, like just um, the first Marseille goal, um, there was a, you know, you could argue that Balotelli had clipped, um, I think it was Toma, before he, the ball had actually been swung in and he'd scored oh, the goal. So, it I mean, th- it was there's, yeah, well. there's an argument to be made there, though, that maybe that goal should have been chopped off. Um, but anyway, um, well, I think we'll move on um, to next week's game against Bordeaux. I just want um, just quickly your thoughts and predictions for that game ahead. 
Well, with the season we've been having and, and with a positive result yesterday, you'd look forward to that game and say, right, this is the year. This is this is when we're going to win away to bottle. They're, they're even worse than we are, which which is hard to imagine right now. Um, it, you sort of thought, great, it's a Friday night game. You'd spend all week getting hyped up for it and going, right, I'm going to watch it down the bar or down the stadium and, and we're going to go for it. And just now, you're just like, there's nothing to play for anymore. I'm, I'm expecting a very dull game. I'm just expecting there to be... I don't know if anybody watched at the Strasbourg-Guingamp um, League Cup final yesterday, and I think there were three shots of target in, in 120 minutes. I'm expecting that on Friday. And mm. I, I just think that we're going to go into full conserv- conservation mode, and we're just going to set out to not lose away instead of going for it. Yeah, it's. A, I don't know if you've seen um, Bordeaux, Bordeaux's form, but I've looked at basically the number of games they've had since we last played them. I think it was February when we started to be good. In those nine games since we last played them, they've won once, drawn four times and lost four games. If you had looked at any other games in the league, we would look at this and being, we're going to destroy them. Even if it doesn't matter your form, we're going to destroy them. But... In the back of the head, you know we're not going to win. It's been 43 years. We're not going to win. Like, it's not going to happen. And like Ben said, it's just going to be, it's, I predict, is going to be a draw. A one-all draw, very, very terrible game without a lot of chances. And to be fair, there's no pressure on the players anymore. So they're just waiting for the end of the season. Yeah, no, in that in that yeah. run of form, Bordeaux have scored six goals, guys, in, in the last nine <laughs> games. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but because they're playing those, and it'll probably be... Whoever, regardless of it, who it is at the back, they'll probably be thinking, "Hey, this is this is when we we tidy up our stats a bit and get get one or two calls." Yeah, uh, I yeah, know. But, what's for, your thoughts? Sorry, in that game. Yeah, so for me, the season is over. I mean, uh, there was no run for the Champions League qualification, so the only trophy we can uh, win this season is to stop this bad story of forty or something of not winning at Bordeaux. So I think, yeah, they they should be motivated by that at least and try to, to win that game. Um, the thing is that, yes, if they were not motivated to uh, keep the advantage of two, two, two goals uh, at home against Angers for a Champions League qualifications, do you think they would actually be motivated uh, to stop this... Uh, this record against Bordeaux, I mean... Uh, <laughs> but there's nothing to play for. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. right. There's nothing left to play for. So what we're going to get, I reckon, is, is a run of dead wood, dead rubber games where... You know, it's, the stadium's going to empty again unless they run ridiculous promotions. With, with, I think they did that on Saturday to, to fill the stadium. I think it was one one ticket offered for one bought. Yeah, they will again. They will again. It's all they, about they communication now, yes. Yeah, they don't have a choice. And it's, you know, we're playing away from home on the Friday night and it's it's just going to ruin everybody's weekend because even if we do win... We're probably all going to witness Lyon and Bordeaux nicking, uh, Lyon and Lille, Lille yeah. like today nicking another win, and and that's just going to be more, you know, more points, more catch up, and it's just it's just unplayable now. No, yeah. but that's why for, for me there's no hope about yeah the qualification. So at least yeah, uh, try to have that to win uh, away uh, at Bordeaux to stop this this record number one and number two. Uh, now it's all about preparing next season. So, yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and, yeah, and preparing right. next season is, is getting fourth place. And Jesus Christ, we're, we're not even guaranteed fourth place. Absolutely. You know, Nisa nice, nice on, nice on a decent streak. Saint-Étienne are racking up points again. We're going we're gonna to face a battle to keep fourth place. Absolutely. Interesting, though. Um, 
it's you're saying we need to prepare for next season, but the man who's in charge is not going to be here next season. I know. So I mean, it'll be hope? interesting to see the, the team sheets that we have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's hope so, Lucas. Yeah, let's <laughs> hope no, so, yeah. No, no, you know what? I've put in my calendar in 55 days, him and Arrow are not at the club anymore. Now that we're on that subject, I think let's let's do a look at the news section because that was the thing that I wanted to look at was, um, well, you know, in the last week or so, he was talking a lot about how it might be the end of a the end of a cycle for sort of a lot of the players in the squad that they might have to set um, let go a number of players and bring in a number of new faces and perhaps this was maybe uh, some sort of acceptance that this season we weren't going to finish where we needed to finish. Um, so yeah, I want you to um, think about that and about who you think is going to come or go over the summer. I'll, I'll have a quick rant and then I'll let you guys debate. <laughs> right here, here we go. So first of all. You know, you're talking about the clear out. Clear yourself out, mate. Just, just fucking stop embarrassing us with stupid press declarations and all this hype and all this crap around nothing. The fact is, you're talking about the end of a cycle. You hired a manager when you arrived at the club. There was no expectation from that first season. I, I personally had little expect, expectation of last season apart from finishing a top five, which we did. We've not built on from there. You've signed, you gave the manager a new contract. So that means in your mind, you, you have a plan with that manager for a cycle over the next two or three years, at, at the very least. And that's, you know, you look at Liverpool, Klopp came in, they went to European, Europa League final that season, a bit like us. But from there, they've pushed on. Yes, they've spent a bit of money, but they've also spent smartly and bought players like Andy Robertson on the cheap and stuff. They had a plan which was. Klopp is going to play attractive football and we're going to live or die by it and, and it will yield results because he's won things in the past. No, nothing like that with Garcia. What, what is the plan? What is our plan? What are we going to end up doing this summer? We're going to sell hopefully only one or two players for, for decent money and that's tomorrow or whatever. I'm expecting us to need to sell for about 50 million euros worth. What are we going to do with that money? And that worries me. We're going to waste that money. Garcia, if he stays in place with it all, will say, right, I need so-and-so, go all out and sign them. And it will probably be like losers like Trevino. God knows what we're going to end up with. Quite frankly, if you're a player in Ligue 1 and you're looking at, at where you're going to go this summer, if you're a player that is, uh, I don't know, we're talking about goalkeepers, so Hans or even those teams that are just behind us, and OM come calling... And you're going to look at the state of it and go, Jesus Christ, do I really want to walk into that and, and fuck myself for the next three years and sign a three or four year contract? Because there's no plan. You've got no guarantee that the manager is going to be there. If he stays on, how much worse is it going to get next season? Because there's no way it's going to get better with a complete lack of game plan. So you can sign, as far as I'm concerned, you can sign whoever you want and you can sell whoever you want. If you don't clear out at least the manager and bring someone in who's got an idea, and you say to him, right, what's your three-year plan, mate? What football are you going to play? Right, off you go, try it. And if we lo- even if we lose, like we did with Yelsa, we lost the first few games, we struggled a bit, but we could see that the team was working and was building towards something that was going was, was to click eventually. I don't see that with Garcia. So unless you get a good manager in, and he makes signings that a part of a plan and they're not just signings to replace the players who are going to leave, then what is the point? Get rid of the manager and then focus on getting rid of which player and what player 
because the new manager may say, actually, I want to keep him, but you can sell him. So that, 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 that is the priority, is getting the manager in with a plan. And if that, that goes by getting rid of Vero as well, then it's got to be done. Okay. That's my two cents. What about um, you guys? Yeah, I think, obviously, everyone, all of you guys here, and probably people who are listening to this podcast, have been following this club for at least five or ten years. Um, and I'm proud to welcome you back to the FC transition year, where... W- most of our players are going to be looking to leave. Those who are going to stay is just because they're not going to have any better chance to move elsewhere for salary wages or better club opportunities. And we're going to try to build something from scratch again. Um, in terms of who who will definitely be leaving, I think there's two scenarios. I think the first scenario is if it's Garcia stays, uh, which I hope he doesn't. But if he stays... The big big players are going to leave are going to be Tovin, Payet, Gustavo, um, Rami. Balotelli is not going to stay due to the massive demands that his um, agent is going to make after his good season. And maybe Amavi. And if Garcia leaves, well, you really can't really predict who's going to stay because the, the coach that has, will come in yeah. will be bringing Payet and Gustavo in and maybe Tovin because... I mean, I don't want Tovan to stay, but they'll probably bring in all of these big players and try to convince them to stay. But if you're following Eero's mentality of saying, we need stability, we need stability, we need stability, well, you're going to have to accept that all of your big 30-year-old players are just going to want to leave and you're going to have to make another transition. But Eero's message now is stability's gone out the window. His message in the last couple of weeks, as you said, Stefan, is right, we need a clear out. And how, how can you arrive at this point after two years and, and almost 160 million investors? You've got, you've got bloody Champions League winner Gustavo on the bench. You should be building around him. Yeah. And, and instead, you're antagonising the bloke by playing him in defence and leaving him on the bench afterwards to punish him for the, the, the poor first half of the season. So that, that is the problem. That there is, Hero doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. We're flying without a pilot. There's no pilot in the airplane. And the fact is that I don't know if, if Rudy's got some dirt on him or whatever he's got on him, but whatever Rudy says, it all backs. Hmm. And, and for, the, for, for the time that that poisonous relationship remains in place, until we get someone who's got balls to say, no, I disagree with you, we're not going to sign that guy because he's 35 or he's 30. We're not going to be able to resell him and he's got a knee injury. So Streetman, classic case. So... It needs to change. Yeah, so okay. maybe I will not be as dark as, as, as you guys. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I think, yeah, uh, Jacques-Henri is, is, is a smart guy, is, is the man in charge, and I think is, is, a, is a good leader. Yes, he did trust or over-trusted uh, Rudy Garcia, but I think he, he understood that, yes, uh, now it's, it's part of the end of the cycle. Um, and actually, yeah, uh, about next season, I, I think we'll have to... Uh, we generate the uh, the team, but also about that. Yeah, I'm not that pessimistic because um, what we've seen the last few uh, games that uh, we won with uh, Balotelli is that uh, what we need is that uh, like very good striker, like uh, good uh, offensive uh, players. But after that, you don't need these overpaid uh, 30 plus uh, players in the midfield or as defenders or even as keepers, and that. Um, uh, the youngsters uh, and um, and and the, the safe bets uh, like uh, Sakai and uh, Ocampos can do the job uh, pretty well, and so 
I think that, yes, uh, since uh, we'll have to say, we'll say goodbye anyway to Abdenour, to Yubukan, to uh, uh, Rolando, and maybe, yes, uh, I, I will be happy to welcome uh, uh, Adil Rami in California. Um, I, I think that after that, yes, um, we need to uh, get rid of all these overpaid players. And I think, yes, Strutman, I, I mean, honestly, with the salary of, of Strutman, you can pay the salary of two Sakai and two Campos. So I think we should get rid more of this type of players. I know he just arrived uh, a year ago, but I w- would be even okay to to let him leave for like after price we paid for him. And, and then just um, take like these this type of, of, of young players or, or save bets like for players between like uh, 20 to uh, 28 years old who have played more than 100 games in uh, in, in in top leagues, um, and, and and I think yeah we can still do better with less or with at least as much, and uh, yes eventually if Tovan wants to leave has to leave, uh, we can replace him by some Maxima eventually. Um, I, I believe that yes we can still do good um, even if we have to to make all these changes, but yes he, he has to come with uh, uh, a new coach. Uh, for me, I'm a big fan of um, Gabriel Einzer. Is uh, is a coach. He has a good spirit. He can be a good leader. Uh, he can make these uh, young players play well. Uh, he would. Be, he won't say no. So I I would be more like uh, uh, in this um, optimistic um, perspective. But yeah. it'll be a clash of clash of personalities with Einzer. That's the problem. Is he he will be like Bielsa and, and La Brune, where. Bielsa will, Heinze will go against it or, and show him up and say, I know more than you do. Let me do my job. And, and I think it will clash. And that is the problem. That's, that's why you need to bring in a duo of a, 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 a chairman and, and a coach who are going to work together the, the same way that, that Monaco have had Compos and, and Jardim. And I, I wouldn't be against giving Zubi the, the chairman job. And saying bring us bring us a coach from from the Barcelona Academy. Yeah, do, yeah. Do, but, do you uh, think is um, is a good coach? But yeah. again, it's not going to happen. I would love to have Gabi Einza coming in, but I think one other factor with Gabi Einza is that his relationship with the media is also very very poor. Um, and we know what happens when a foreign coach comes into France and has a bad relationship with the media he ends up getting crucified and it does reflect in the decisions afterwards when all of his decisions are second-guessed. And he's quite a new manager. So I don't know if he'd be able to to fight the media, his chairman, and then get hold of... And then the Davis in the dressing room. Stars. I, don't know, I don't know what you talk about, the bad relationship with the media, because Gabi Enzo, when he left OM, he got uploaded by the journalist in the no, press I mean, conference I mean, in Marseille. In, um, in Argentina, as a coach, um, he's had a lot of runnings with with journalists who who've been second guessing him, and he was calling them out on in the press conference and everything. That would not go down well with the French media. Yeah, but Argentina press is specific. That brings me on to one of the questions that someone sent in. Um, I think it was from Pascal. It says, um, "Beyond new players, what strategy do you think Marseille should adopt overall?" Well, it, it could go very wrong. I mean, I, you know, if you get the wrong manager in or if you keep Garcia, we could sadly end up with what we had when when um, Michel came in yeah. And, yeah. and we were just taking players on loan from left, right and centre and signing random players. You know, we took a couple of gambles that paid off and Kudu, Saar has ended up paying off because he's, you know, he's a decent squad player. Um, but the rest of them were junk. And if if... 
we sell Tovar and replace him by three average players. Then we're burdened with those players for whoever the, the person in after comes in. And then they end up playing for the reserves. So the strategy has to be reviewed completely. It will be anyway, because McCourt has already said, we're not going to sign any more 30 million players or we're not going to spend as, as much as we did. We're going to spend it smart. So he's he's laid the foundation to... He's, he's basically warned Eero and Garcia that it's not going to carry on as it has been for the last two summers with massive investments. So how do, how do we go from there is the big question mark. And it's it's got to be a mix of... Let's face it, regardless of who leaves... We already need a new goalkeeper and a new left-back at the minimum and probably yes. a new striker because Belotelli will... I think it's likely he will either ask for too much money or we'll screw ourselves over by spending June and July trying to negotiate with him and then re-signing him very expensive because nobody, no other club would have come in for him and he won't have a choice but staying, but he'll stay for a lot of money. Mm. And that eats into your budget already. And then with the time that Iroh will have wasted faffing about doing that, the other positions will be completely neglected. And, and if we do not sign a goalkeeper and a left-back and, and we keep the same duo of Eruan and Garcia, they're dead men walking. That's the way it's going to be. Okay. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the direction that we should adopt, I think going going to Arno's point of saying, really, to be able to go on a podium in, in a French league, and we've seen how weak the French league can be some years, you only really need a good striker a good playmaker and a good goalkeeper. So yeah. if you, I think what we should do is break the bank on those three positions and then you can just use younger players. But I think realistically, the fact that we're in a transition year and then we're having obviously a really unhealthy environment, you're going to have to overpay your players. And the young players are going to ask themselves, well, we've seen Radonic, we've seen Chaitatsar, We've seen all of the young players. What guarantees can you give me that I'm going to progress? You've seen Sanson. His career has come to a complete standstill. And he was the the um, top um, assist player in French League when he came to us. And we've completely put his career to, to a no. So yeah, you you're, you're not going to attract young players. You think if he'd gone to Lyon, he'd probably have been in the French national team by now. I bet. And probably. Us, probably. Kind of stagnated. Um, Arnold, um, what about you? What, what kind of strategy do you think that we should, the, the Marseille uh, management should be adopting? Yeah, so uh, I think the initial strategy was like to reassure like Marseille fans with like... Uh, uh, confirmed players uh, in over 30s with like big salaries, and 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 now we see that yes, the, the end of this cycle means the end of this type of players. So uh, again, yes, I think we need to put our money for like our strikers, our, our decisive offensive players. But after that, the the young and uh, self bets of League One can can do the job. So I think that would be the, the the strategy, is that to to revamp uh, all of this, uh, this this process and go more for hunting like youngsters, and to complete the the, the team yes to better have because today is, the the team is very unbalanced. You have like uh, hundred of, of million dollars on the bench, but you don't have a um, a challenger for Amavi. So that's that's just totally unbalanced. So I think we can have a better balanced team. With more younger play, younger players, uh, maybe less uh, um, heavily paid, and uh, and I think we can do uh, we can do okay with that. Yes, but I think we I- I- even if Balotelli is asking for a lot of money, I would give it to him. 
uh, because I, I think yeah, he is a type of of players that can change the game and then change the season. Uh, but uh, that that would be the, the strategy for me. Mm. But we've, we've already based that on uh, Mukudi. I mean, yeah, Mukudi is going to come to ten. So again, we're not. We're not we're, who is who is watching? Who is yeah, doing anything about this? Absolutely agree with you. You know, they've talked all about that in the past about looking for good deals, looking for young players that they can develop. There was talk about a, like a Monaco type model in the past. But we're not actually we're not making the moves to pick well, these yeah, players up the, when they become well, available. And, and the we've, problem we've is gone, that we've, sorry, yeah, we've the, gone from the, losing now on these players to only Lyon because Martin yeah. Terrier, for example, last year would have been yeah, a perfect yeah. light for light replacement for Tovan. If Tovan was to leave this season, you would have blooded Terrier, given him 25 games, and you'd be like, right, he'll come into his own next season with the right coach. But the fact is, we're missing out, and now we're, we're not just losing these players to Lyon; we're losing them to Saint Etienne. To, to all of these clubs that are behind us, Nice with San Maximo, who, who are a step ahead of us. They're a step ahead of us already on, the, on that pitch, on, the, on that playing field. The, the problem is that this, this isn't football manager. You know, when you can just go to a youngster and sign him on and say, you know, you will play a few games. Mukudi, for example, his agent is going to look at the past season and see how youngsters and especially centre-backs were being dealt with by Garcia, right? And you have the example of Camara who was taken out of the squad for months on end during the start of the season for no reason, and Tzare who was just being basically sent to the slaughterhouse games in and games out in, when he wasn't match fit. So why would he risk his player not progressing and moving to a bigger club when he can send him to Nice or Saint-Etienne and then he can go to the Premier League and he's assured to be a starter? Yeah. It, the environment is toxic. And before yeah. we fix this, we're not going to be able to... Now we, we can't even compete with Santa Chiara Nice because they're saying, right, Mukudi, you're going to be our starting defender. And down two years' time, you will be our captain. In Marseille, you will say, well, that's what we want you to do. But Gus is not playing you. So you just play yeah. through it. But, uh, well, I think we'll, we better move on because we're way running beyond time. But um, <laughs> okay. So I, I know everyone's got so much to say. But um, yeah, just one of the things that which is probably a good time to talk about this, actually, is one of the things that's sort of come up in the last week was been the talk about one new young player in particular that's coming through um, the youth system. I think his name is Lee Hadji. Don't know how, yeah. sorry, sorry for my pronunciations off. Um, and a number of other players um, t- there's talk about maybe signing their first professional contract. Um, have you guys got any familiarity with with that player or any of the or any of these players, and is that not some good a sign of that we are moving in the right direction? Yeah, I've seen his, his uh, some of his goals. Um, I mean, on videos uh, streamed by uh, by OM, and yeah, it was crazy because uh, for playing against players of his age, he was like coming back from um, his unsure phase, dribbling all the team, going very fast, and scoring goal by himself. So uh, obviously, yeah, he was with uh, players of his own age. So I think he's he's more like for mid-term, long-term. I don't hope that I, I don't see him like uh, actually playing next season. But yes, I think we should sign him pro, and and that's part of the long-term process of anticipating and preparing the future. But the, but the article that came out on him was interesting because it, it talked about all the other players. So Ali Mohamed who, who happens to be a, a, um, a wing back, which is great. That is what we need. If you can turn him into a left back and, and give him a few games, then good. Then the future is there. And then these players are a bit older. But Ali Mohamed's seventeen or eighteen. Well, Lee Haji's going seventeen this season. But the article that spoke about Lee Haji 
if, if that's not an insight into the working and the cluelessness of, of Eero, nothing is. So it, it went to the point where apparently Zubi had to take Eero to watch a youth game and say, look at this kid, right? He's 16, right? Look at all those guys sitting over there. They're scouts from Dortmund, Barcelona, Leipzig. They're all here to watch just him. Why would I don't we not buy that. I think, I, think, I think they are very aware of, of their talent. It's just that it takes time to sign these players because of their agents and the time of negotiation. But honestly, I think they are aware of their talents and they just try to sign them and just take time. Hmm. It's kind of strange, though, that, um, that at that stage of the career, it's not always clear, um, clear whether players are going to um, go on and sign the first professional contract. It seems to be quite complicated. I, I mean, I remember there was one player about a year ago he had a really difficult name to prove. He was, I think, he was from the Comoros, M- M- Roy Vili or um, something oh, like M-O-B-L-E. that. Oh, Roy Vili. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. He looked really impressive in um, some of the um, games and clips that we'd seen. And there was sort of suggestions that he had a big future ahead of him. He didn't sign his professional contract with us. And, I mean, I think he went somewhere else, um, lower level. And we're not really hearing about him anymore. Um, so it's not always. It's, it's quite hard to predict what's actually going to happen and how easy it is to get these players signed up. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's definitely a, a professionalization of the youth system, um, and you're seeing, you're starting to hear a lot more about talented players coming through the youth system. But as we've said in previous podcasts, the the issue is not so much the kind of the fostering of their talent throughout the youth system, but it's more the the bridge between the reserves and the first team mm-hmm. so it yeah. will, all this will depend Lihaji whether he plays or not it will depend on Garcia's willingness or whether he's whether we have another coach their willingness to integrate them progressively and and knowing how to deal with youngsters coming into not just any club but you know starting in a 60,000 seater stadium and all the pressure that, that comes along with so it, it's for me the, the, the issue is, is not whether we can spot the talents or we have the talents is the problem is is how do we make them you know go through that bridge to become regular starters because the only really two evidence recently is Lopez and Camara and it's not like we did anything specifically to to make them able to start games it's because they were so incredibly better than anyone in a generation that they were they had nothing else to do but become a starter in a professional team speaking of Kamara there's been talk that he might be close to signing a new contract with the club that could be the best news we've had in a little while yeah guys (laughs) number one priority if if he signs a new deal good but if if the 30 million offer comes in in the summer they They'll probably sell him. Which oh is, no! Which is what we don't want to see. Yeah, I, I, I hope not. I, I think he's in we, the future. We he, could be, he could be worth twice that easily in a couple of years' time. Yeah, we all hope not. But it's but that is the pattern. And, and the thing is, back on Lucas' point, that the bridges, the, the the problem with the bridge is that you sign them pro and then you don't play them. And even I wouldn't say the average ones, but even players that we've seen in the past. That you give them a bit of game time, and Kamara and Lopez have been able to push on, and, and it's already good to have two players from the youth setup starting consistently. But then you need to blood the others. Some others may need a bit more time, and, and we were very patient with players like Saar, and it took him two or three years to come good, and then he came good, and he's decent. Mm. But but some of them may need more time than Kamara and Lopez because they maybe they they're not as talented, but they they 
will will progress in reading the the game and positioning and all of that thing. So that is where the, the problem is. And if if that is the type of project that we're gonna we're gonna go after, and if we're gonna sign these kids and and bring them on, and and start blooding them in the first team, we need a manager who's gonna have the balls to play them and keep playing them, even if they screw up. Just keep playing them so that they learn from it. And, and nobody in the stadium will see anything wrong with that because they'll all recognise that we're giving the kids a chance. Definitely. Yeah, but I think that's the plan. I think that's the plan. Uh, Eros spoke about it like very often. He said, yes, we need more Camo and Lopez and we are working on it. The OMG Next Generation is all about that. And even he, he said at the beginning that, yes, we initially they, they needed like confirmed players to be efficient um, the, from the beginning. But... Uh, but yes, they are preparing the future, and I think that will be part of the job of the next coach to 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 be able to to play with the strategy and like uh, Garcia. Okay, um, I, I think with that we'll move on to probably the final topic, maybe tonight, which was um, in the last week there was um, stories. Of, well, there was news of meetings being held um, at UEFA um, with some major clubs about the potential reformation of European competition into a UEFA Super League. Um, I did see Marseille's name mentioned in that in some in some articles. Um, do you think that that is the future? I know this is a massive topic, but do you think that that is a step in the right direction? And then particularly for a club, like Marseille, is it good? Would it benefit us or not? It is, but but it depends how they structure it. If they structure it and and decide the teams that are going to be in it based off the UEFA coefficient, we're in a decent position, but we're still behind Lyon, PSG, and Monaco. Mm-hmm. And if if they go into it with a team like Monaco, it's a farce because who the hell wants to watch a game of a, of a so-called Super League? in a stadium that's got barely 18,000 people in it. So if, if Marseille are lucky enough to be integrated in this starting version of it, whenever it happens, great, because the financial revenue from that, if it's managed properly, should enable us to build solid foundations and try and catch up with, with other teams, not only in our own league, but across Europe. If we're not in the, the top tier from the very beginning of it, we will struggle to break into that, that close circle. Definitely. Yeah, I think th- this is still the, the preliminary stages of, of talks with this, and um, it, it, it changes as to which team will be able to join this basically closed league, um, which will basically remove the Champions League and will be pl- would be played in the weekend, so yeah. the team in that league would not play their domestic league. Um, first of all, they're, they're first Marseille the, was sorry. involved, at first Marseille the... was included. Yeah, I think but, they're saying the domestic league games would be moved to midweek for every team in that country as well. Yeah, but I mean that's what they're proposing. But yeah, the, latest, the latest the uh, latest statement from Infantino uh, was that any big players that would play and agree to play in that league would not be able to play in a World Cup. And Bayern Munich said that they were not even able to join that league because they've got a contract with Bundesliga saying that they're only able to play exclusively for them. Um, so. Some I don't know if it's mm. even legal to yeah, make that. It's, it's very no, complicated, isn't but it? But obviously, we we talk we don't talk about short term or even mid term. Is we talk about something uh, in five or ten years. Obviously, there's all ongoing contracts and everything for all the leagues. The the point is that uh, football is the only industry in the world that is not customer centric. Is that uh, indeed? If I want to watch all Marseille games from the US, I need like uh, three, if not four. Uh, TV subscriptions, with including all packages. So, 
uh, I'm, I'm overpaying for like for the only the games that are that matter to me. And again, the TV rights, uh, they are expensive because only the the big the big clubs. I mean, um, to be to to be frank, like the the league one uh, the league uh, rights, they will increase by sixty percent. It's mostly because of Neymar. I mean, we have to to be honest about that. Yep. And and so that's the big clubs that bring the the bread on the table, but then they just get the crust. And Liga is only interesting because of Real, Barça, and Atletico, and and same for all the leagues. So the 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 thinking is that yes, if they all gather in one uh, super super league, uh, they will multiply the revenue by ten because again, Americans and Asians they don't care about. Uh, uh, Marseille, Angers, or, or Barça, or Gijón, uh, whatever. They just care about the big big games. And the thing is that uh, these big games, even Real Madrid last year, they played like 12 of them in Champions League, so that's not so many. And if Ronaldo could play every weekend against uh, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, again, or, or unless uh, today is like playing against Sassuolo, or I don't know, um, the, the, the industry will, will go much bigger. So that's the, the the things from the customer centricity and the and just the economics, and, and from that I think that yes Marseille can have a, a good card to play. Obviously, the the thing is to be ready within like five to ten years to be in these top clubs. But the thing is that the Champions League rights, I think France is is counting for like twenty percent of this. So obviously, being the most popular French club in France, um, and with the largest uh, basis of, of fans, including road, and this show is, is just uh, an example of that, are, are just arguments that put, could put us in, in this position of being in this Super League. And then that would be a game changer because, again, we will never win the Champions League in this format. And, and yes, there is political at play, and, but uh, I think that's the direction of, of football in, like, in, in the far away future. But uh, I think that's the, this is where we, we should get ready. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I think as a final word, I'm I'm wholeheartedly against that Super League. It's <laughs> it's just it's just the death of football. Basically, originally the Champions League was made just for the champions of each league, and it was a knockout stage. But because the big teams sometimes got knocked out by the smaller teams and therefore missed out on revenue, then okay, let's make the Champions League with a group stage and then two legs for each knockout stage. And because there's some of these big teams are still so fucking shit, like PSG. Well, they said, no, okay, we want more security. So let's make this super league so that we only share the TV rights between us and get super, 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 super rich. And then the rest of the clubs who deserve to be in those in those Champions League spots, they miss out on all the revenue. And then they, they all their fans get no enjoyable games. It's there's no there's no reward system. It's a clo- it's like the NBA when okay, if we're in a super league, let's say Marseille is a super league, we would lose 20 of the 25 games. I'm I'm with you, actually, a little bit there, Luca. I I, I understand what you're saying, Arno, and I think in terms of um, the market, um, the the share of the market that we could get through that is probably something that we need to be involved in and it is the way that football is going. But I'm a little bit old-fashioned, I think. Um, I remember the the European Cup or the early Champions League went particularly when it was about 16 teams, four groups of four, and it had one team, I think, from each country. And I, th- I personally, I thought it was much more exciting back then, and it was much more open. You had teams like Ajax, who could have um, a team full of all these young players that they produced in the last year, young talents, and they go on and win it. And you just wouldn't see that yeah. now. And even, uh, this, even, yeah, even this season, even so Ajax against yeah. Real Madrid, 
And well, in true, that true. Year, I mean, that's that maybe not happen. a good example, but I know Ajax having a good season. But um, but yeah, I just think like I, I really like that the fact that there wasn't this huge gap, say, between Barcelona and Stal Bucharest. You know, it was, and everyone. I mean, the the quality across European football was a little bit more shared than what it is now. Now it's really like there's certain leagues and certain teams that are just way, 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 miles and miles ahead of anyone else. And it's really hard for anyone, clubs like Marseille, who've kind of fallen behind to try and catch up, you know, and reach that you, kind of you level. Do. Yeah, and to Arno's point, I mean, it's probably interesting because you're US-based and I, I read into it and some of the people that aren't football people who are trying to set this up are ex-NFL people. Basically, what they're proposing is the Super Bowl of, of football. Yeah. And what it would lead to is, is the franchisation of football, similarly to American sports, where you have this sort of front, giant, all the, these 20 giant franchises that consume all the others. Um, and I, I, I agree, I'm against it. But in principle, I, I do think reform is needed at the Champions League level. Yeah. But it, that isn't the solution for me. But it is, it is a solution that is being considered amongst many others. Yeah, and by the way, it just is to conclude. It just explains all the UEFA um, attitude towards PSG and City, because the financial fair play, the so-called financial fair play, was here to protect the big clubs against these uh, new rich, and and basically these new rich clubs they they, they threat now the UEFA uh, to create uh, this this super league, and this is their how they negotiate their own power for for more power in 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 the Champions League. Uh, yeah, they so already, that's 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 also yeah. to, to be understood in the in the big 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 game, yeah. And they already they already achieved very big guarantees with that because they've secured the reform that happened recently of the Champions League, which guarantees the top nations will retain a minimum number of spots regardless of their team's performance in that competition. Whereas before you had this sort of system where if French teams did shit, then they would lose. Well, it happened to France because we now have to go through an extra qualifying stage, the third place team. And, and that's gone out the window with the recent reform. And what they're seeking is more reform to cover their asses. Yep. And I think, guys, I think with that, we'll, we'll, we'll finish tonight. Um, but I know it's a, it was a huge topic and we could go on for a long time about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, um, thank you very much, everyone, for taking part. Thanks, guys. And, um, yeah, thank you, Arno, for um, try- managing to to get together with us as well it's really hard to get you guys from across the Atlantic in the show just because of time so it's really pleased to get you involved thank you thank you very much thank you very much thanks guys and hopefully when we um, come back next week um, we'll have more positive news and results to talk (laughs) about Um, it's been a hard few weeks but um, thank you very much cheers guys cheers Cheers, guys and see you in 55 days for Garcia's firing (laughs) (laughs) we'll Um, we'll have a party like the Brexit party (laughs) Uh, thank you very much for listening good night cheers everyone bye